Welcome to Right Where You're Sitting Now, Episode 2, Part 1. It's a two-parter. We've, uh, I'm really psyched about who we've got on today. It's amazing. I can't believe we've got him for the second episode. Can you, Paul? No, it's really incredible. It's just first thing we wanted to interview, and it is him. Mm-hmm. Like you said in the previous episode, it yeah. was the person you wanted to interview the most, and you just got him. Yep, straight away. Yep. We've got Trace Burrants from The Secret Chiefs 3. He also plays in uh, Asva, and he used to play in Mr. Bungle. It's a pretty big, bu- big sort of influence yeah very important yeah um but yeah one thing we forgot to mention last time was the fact that we have a website and the address for that is sittingnow.co.uk uh go and check it out sign up comments we want comments we want actually we're looking for writers as well for the blog we've already had a few people respond and yeah i guess we're trying to build some sort of a community around the uh, what we're doing and uh, we do like you said, we did get some good responses about it, didn't we? Yep, we got some so, people offering yep. from America and down the UK, so that's pretty good. And we want people from all over the place. So if you feel you can write blogs, blog entries, you know, it can be about anything really, as long as it's kind of under the kind of style we tend also to... Also maybe other podcasters. Huh? Maybe other podcasters and yeah. podcasters. If you feel you can do a podcast, we'll happily host it on our site. We've got plenty of space. Um, no, we really do. We've got quite a good service. Yep. <coughs> and uh, yeah so uh, the other thing is you can contact me and Paul via email uh, my email address is ken at sittingnow.co.uk mine is paul at sittingnow.co.uk so. <laughs> yep <laughs> uh, his and hers anyway <laughs> anyways yeah so that's the, the interview yeah we've got Trace Burns which is awesome oh, he's, for me personally he's a massive influence on everything I listen to pretty much I mean Mr. Bungle changed the way I listen to music. Secret Chiefs continue to change the way I listen to music. And uh, there was just very capable and very important musician of the past 15 years, I guess. Yeah. Maybe more. Probably more, actually. Yeah. yeah. 20. But, yep. We'll say 20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll say 20. Yes, we'll say 20. But yeah, I mean, it's and it's, we just want to, I want to thank Paul. Paul? I don't want to thank Paul. You don't <laughs> want to thank me because I did not actually say anything during the interview. You, yeah. won't, you won't be hearing me say anything during the interview, actually. I just allowed Ken to uh, do his own bit and interview his uh, favourite musician yeah. while I just sat in the background. He did, needing the loop. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll cut to the Trey interview. Um, the first 
thing we really talked to him about is the new album that's just come out on Zadic Records. It's part of the John Zorn Mazada series. <laughs> it's Mazada or Mazada or Masada. Masada. Yeah. And uh, we think it's called Zafan. We're not sure. Trey wasn't sure, but you'll see then anyway. So maybe uh, Xafan or something. Zafan. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll find out. Anyway, we're gonna roll. Go cut to the uh, first part of the interview. Um, we're going to be playing some music as well. Um, if you, throughout the uh, episode, so you'll between bits of the interview, you're going to hear some some full songs, some non-full songs. We and also Asva. And Asva, yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you at the end of the show, yep. end of part one, and uh, hope you enjoy. Just got Zafan in the post today, actually. Is it pronounced Zafan or Zafan? I couldn't honestly tell you. <laughs> But, uh, I, I just take the orders around here, man. I don't, I don't <laughs> issue them. So, how did that come about? Was that because um, I know John Zorn like has writes books or something, doesn't he? And then hands out the pages to people as projects. Yeah, well, he actually handed me um, a box with the three hundred different tunes in it. So it was, um, it's sort of like a, I don't know if you're familiar with the the real book, like jazz players uh, play off of these sort of lead sheets right, no, very common anyway yeah this book called the real book which is actually um sort of ironic because it's a fake book is what they call it it's just transcriptions of jazz heads that just give you the the melody and the chords that's how zorn writes the uh masada pieces he just gives you um a, a melody and the chord changes very much sort of in the jazz tradition, not so much, you know, like a klezmer tradition or whatever. All right. Um, which I don't know how they do that. They probably don't even write it down for all I know. Yeah. Um, so the interpretation, just like in jazz, is pretty open. Um, I asked him, you know, how far we could go. And he said, you know, as long as you respect the, the integrity of the compositions, do whatever you want. If you want to use altered tunings or whatever the hell, you know. You know, originally I was intending on doing that, and then I realized that that was would just be an artificial kind of gimmicky thing for us to do. Um, so I, you know, I just plugged his material, the melodic stuff and the general chord changes when there were some, uh, and then just wrote a bunch of counter lines and, you know, sort of did what I normally do, which is arrange the hell out of it and, um, you know, interpret it in various different ways, you know, interpret one thing as like, the rhythm section playing a rock style or, you know, playing in a, I don't know, like a, more of an Ethiopian sort of funk sound or something, you know, it, it differs from, from tune to tune. There's like a surf rock interpretation. Yeah. My general sort of stock interpretations of stuff. I mean, this stuff occurred to me immediately once we started reading down the, the tunes. Mm-hmm. But with 300 tunes, you know, you're like, well, that's a lot, you know. <laughs> uh, we're supposed to select 12 of them what are we going to do we're going to read through all 300 of these things started doing it and then i just asked him for guidance on that and uh he suggested certain tunes and he definitely suggested the right ones for us like when we read through them they were perfect for us we just went with what he suggested and and took them took them as far as we could go yeah because you've worked with zone before haven't you in the past yeah yeah i've done a bunch of stuff with was on like mostly live uh you know doing playing game pieces and stuff like that or well it's i also did a few records with him he 
produced, um, he came in at the uh, mixing stage of the first Mr. Bungle record and helped with that. Yeah. Uh, immeasurably helped with that, I should say, because <laughs> it was a real turd sonically before he got there. All right. So he was, was he not the producer of that thing? Because I think he's listed as producer, isn't he, on the first Bungle album? He he definitely deserves the production credit on it because, I mean, we, we were there, we did all the tracking on our own for pretty much. Yeah. So he came in and, um, you know, all we had used, like all I'd ever even known up to that point, keyboard-wise, was my crappy and Sonic SQ-80 keyboard, which yeah. is all over that record. And, uh, you know, all I'd known uh, of a guitar rig was my PV Renown amplifier. <laughs> so, like, all the D-tones were going through my PV, all the clean, you know, and all the keyboards were on this crappy keyboard. So, you know, for a couple of days we spent tracking the guitar through a proper Marshall amp that, you know, he had the wisdom to make us do. Yeah. And uh, also, like, play through uh, Hammond D3 organ. You know, we were just idiots from the, well, up in the woods. We didn't know anything. So he really, like, kind of <clears throat> lit the initial fire under all of our asses, I think, to pay a little bit more attention to what things sound like. Like, he rented Pultec EQs. You know, we had all kinds of really good gear that got brought into that studio that we had no idea about and you know that was all his his doing yeah and then after that you you went on to you recorded elegy with him was it yeah yeah that was some i guess it was about a year later or something um which was recorded actually in the same studio that was a lot of fun yeah who was actually on that that record again i've i've got it but that had uh boy that was a long time ago that was uh well david slusser um yeah was on that record who's a great sound effects great sax player great composer in his own right also um and what was her name the flutist the flautist she was amazing um i can't remember her name and then willie Wynant was on there yeah um and Patton was on it yeah and what was the what's that guy david the violinist really amazing violinist um can't remember his last name david something he's like one of the uh mills college i, I think he was a professor there i can't remember any of this stuff very well <laughs> it was a while ago now it was it? what was it 1992 it's yeah <laughs> uh, you did did you do some cobra pieces with him as well oh abel david abel i That's remember it. okay yeah david yeah. Abel. yeah he's totally amazing player maybe a little stiff in some ways but as a human, there were some problems, uh, not with me, but with some others. But man, what a what an incredible player! Yeah, yeah. Then you and you did some some Cobra work as well, didn't you, with Zorn? I think. Yeah, I've done a bunch. I mean, the, in the early '90s, I, I probably did a whole bunch. I don't know, probably ten Cobras or something. It sure seems like that. I played a couple other improv gigs. Like we did Shoe Fung a few times, which is another game piece little bit more involved uh that you kind of you kind of have to be a, a cobra veteran to play on that one that was really great um other stuff like uh with him recently we did a, a cobra in milan which went really well all right was that fairly recent was that with zorn recently then or yeah yeah we played on the um there was like a zorn festival in milan and we we represented the Masada dimension of what he does. All right, that's cool. 
Yeah, yeah it, was, it just happened all of a sudden. It was great. It was fun. Yeah. So that brings me to one other question. Are you are you planning? I actually asked you this in the last interview, and you seem pretty keen. But um, are you uh, planning on bringing Secret Chiefs to England or to Europe at all? Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, we're making more and more progress on it. Um, the UK is looking pretty good, actually. We have a guy who who we've talked to about doing booking there. We're not really sure whether that whether it's going to happen with them, but regardless, now there's definitely momentum starting to happen. So. But, well, we know we're definitely doing a European tour. Let's just put it that way. All right. Okay. The UK part of it is is still uncertain because we don't exactly have our booking agent thing figured out yet, or he hasn't really bitten into it the way uh, it should be happening by now. So yeah. we're we're sort of in limbo there, but I, I think it'll happen. Yeah. So it's worth you know it's worth waiting and seeing what happens with that. Oh yeah, definitely. That sounds good. Um, actually, just going back to Zaffin. Um, I'm just going to call it that. <laughs> I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced. How did the recording process go with that? I mean, did you record it because you have the Forking Paths studio? Is that it? Your own studio called Forking Paths? Yeah. I mean, the the drums, we actually, as a band, we were all in New York because I was curating uh, The Stone, which is Zorn's club out yeah. there for like two weeks. And, uh, you know, we... Um, it was because I had played there a little while ago, or, or a little while before, and that was when he did, you know, asked us to do the Masada. So I said, yeah, we'll do it. And then while we're out there playing Secret Chief stuff and doing all these other smaller ensemble things, we'll rehearse and get the Masada stuff together. It's really hard to get the Secret Chief all in one room, you know. <laughs> everybody lives all over the place. Yeah. So during that two weeks, we rehearsed the material and... Uh, and recorded it before we we even played it live. Like we had actually started the recording process. And um, so the thing is, you know, we were recording it as a band, but nobody really knew their parts that well yet, except for Chess and Shazad, um, the drum and bass, which is the most important thing for the tracking. So I, I'm not saying that people were flaking. What I'm saying is like, I was actually more concerned about getting that done because those are the, really the hardest guys to pin down anyway. So we tracked all of the rhythm spin stuff, even though we all played as a band, the stuff with that thing, because it, it, it was the drums and the bass that got recorded in New York yeah. at a place called Big Blue Meanie. Um, so we played as a band, and essentially the people, the rest of the people's parts didn't change. Um, they just, you know, um, they got more comfortable with them, and I recorded them all after that, overdubbing. Um, and that was also because I had also written all kinds of other sort of counter lines and, you know, stuff that was going to be way too complicated to try to get everybody to learn Yeah. Uh, in that short two weeks when we're, we all have a gig every single night and are playing, you know, billion, just too much. Yeah. <laughs> so I deferred that shit till later and, uh, we kind of banged all of that stuff out, um, at, at my studio. And some of it we recorded also up at the studio at the Stratosphere space, because um, two of the guys in the Masada Ensemble are from uh, from the Stratosphere, so we recorded their parts up there at their place. So it was recorded three different studios. And then did you mix it all together at home, I guess? Or oh, actually, yeah. So then then I got all of the sort of automation part of the mixing and all that stuff done. Um, at my place 
and then I took it all to a big studio called Hyde Street Studio in San Francisco and, you know, ran it through the proper uh, mixing board. Because I, I don't, I really don't like finalizing things on the computer. Yeah. Uh, and running everything through actual outboard gear in addition to the, like a nice analog board and all of that. And I sort of insist on doing it that way. So I spent probably shorter amount of time than I should have on that, but it went pretty well, I thought. Um, yeah. Spent like two days on the finalizing part of it. It definitely sounds really, I mean, the production sounds great on it. It's, uh... Yeah, thanks. Um, I think Scott Hull, the mastering guy, did a great job too. Yeah, he worked with, he's, you've worked with him quite a bit, haven't you, in the past, Scott Hull? I never ha- have before. I, I never even knew about him. And actually, you know, people had been warning me, um, frankly, about, like, stuff that comes out on Zodic. You know, I heard a few different people like, oh, you know, watch out. They do weird stuff, as, you know, in the mastering. They add reverbs and, you know. I was like, huh, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. Um, but, frankly, I was also... Uh, less worried about that because I mean this is a complicated mix and there isn't a whole lot you could do you know I I feel like whoever mastered it had their hands tied and I felt bad about that actually (laughs) and I got the thing back and it was great like I had done a bunch of mock-up mastering jobs myself on it and I could not figure out how how to master this thing properly it's just too hard yeah it's quite complicated yeah I don't know how he did it he really he he did an amazing job so I think he works on uh, no. he works on a lot of the Zadik stuff, doesn't he? I think he um, uh, most of Zorn stuff, I think, doesn't he? So he, he's probably quite used to <laughs> dealing with. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah, and maybe that's why there were people were disappointed. I mean, maybe there's a thing where you know, if it's like a trio recording or something, and it's really dry. I mean, maybe I would even add a reverb to that if it was too, you know, dead or something. Yeah. But I mean, you can't add anything to a Secret Chiefs. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Yes. But what he did is, he, like, he pulled all this amazing, like, he really filled up the speakers with it and, and didn't squash it, didn't didn't smash it. Like, he really did the proper, perfect job on it, which I, I got to say, man, that never happens, ever. Yeah. <laughs> do you, I mean, when you try and master, do you normally master the Secret Chiefs 3 records then? Or? <laughs> I don't know what to do, you know. Most <laughs> of our the Secret Chiefs records don't have mastering because it's, you know, it's too delicate of a of a thing, and then I'll just sort of do it myself, you know. Yeah. Um, but he he nailed it, man. <laughs> That's good. That's good.
you reading about this? The Secret Chiefs being comprised of, I think, seven bands. Yeah, yeah. Could you explain that? It sounds quite complicated. And yeah, it is. It is really complicated, unfortunately. Um, but maybe the idea behind it isn't that complicated. Well, I'll put it this way: the the elements that that have uh, that we're now referring to as different bands have always sort of been implicitly in the, the Secret Chiefs as modes, you know, compositional modes, yeah. or even, you know. I, the way I think of composition, I think of it, the arranging and the production as being part of of composition. So even the interpretation of of things like cover songs, a lot of times are you know, will go through a different sort of production filter. So those modes, I think, I just wanted to articulate them more and draw them out. And naming them different bands is actually not the novelty that it seems like. Yeah, because I've been thinking of it that way the whole time. Like, the, call the band the Secret Chiefs Three was just my compromise, like my way of saying, okay, I'm not going to make all these million different bands that I'm thinking about. I'll just do all of this different material and I'll call it Secret Chiefs Three. So now the process is sort of inverse, and it's um, I'm sort of coming out in a way and saying, well, this is actually what's been going on. And what what we've all been thinking of as a secret chiefs is a is a big illusion. Okay. So <laughs> I know it is complicated, but yeah, eventually the point of all of this is to reunify it as a band, um, predictably enough. You know, it's it's to sort of draw all these elements out and then bring it back so that it can become less of an illusion and more of a real thing. Book of Horizons is like part one of three, isn't it? Yeah. So you can technically take all the albums and pull. You could technically, if you wanted to do this, pull the different bands out and rearrange them into separate kind of like EPs or albums, I guess. You could do that, yeah. I mean, it, I've already put out some seven inches of even, you know, different material yeah, under those, the names yeah. of the different bands. And so I think, I mean, we'll be doing more of that rather than kind of rehashing the existing material. Um, putting out stuff under the names of the the separate bands will be actually yet more material because there's tons. I mean, I've written... I can't even tell you how much music I've written over the years for all of these bands, and I've been sort of holding it back because Secret Chiefs has sort of taken its own identity. And uh, now I'm like, okay, well, let's let this all of this stuff start to come out. Slowly but surely, it's happening. Is the uh, the next album's The Book of Truth, is it? Or is that the name of the, the three together? Because there's like a overarching yeah, the, name. Yeah, the trilogy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the sort of overarching trilogy uh, name. Um, which actually I never said that, but people have been calling it that, so I guess I'll just let it be called that. <laughs> I mean, I, I put it in the, the Arabic title for that, but I never translated it into that. But I guess that is what it's saying. It's quite preposterous and uh, you know bombastic. Uh, the next, the next one is called Book of Souls. All ah, right. Exactly. And just to make things even more complicated, it's coming out in three uh, folios, like three installments. All right. So I'm just apologizing. It's not. It's not actually to make it more complicated. <laughs> Conceptually, that's the appropriate thing to do for this record, and um, I finally submitted to that and just went ahead and did it. So, have you actually recorded these these three parts then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of this, the material for that record is, you know, uh, somewhere between the seventy-five and ninety percent finished phase. So now, what I'm trying to do is 
you know, I'm just finding windows of time where I can finish off one folio at a time. And right now, actually, May and June, I have uh, I have solid two months to work really hard on that. So I'll be finishing off at least one folio, maybe two. All right, excellent. So and what and getting maybe getting them released this year or? Yeah, that uh, at least one folio will be out, and I'm hoping. What I'm trying to do is, if I can get it done by May, by the end of May, we could have that out in time for the the Europe tour in September. That would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be cool, definitely. Um, I'm trying.
Jasper, aren't you? Yeah, that's an, also another sort of hazy area. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I I really enjoy playing in ASVA. I'm trying to figure out whether I actually can justify, because um, ASVA is coming over to the UK and to Europe in uh, July, and I really want to go with them. But it, it, now I just explained to you, like, the conflict I'm having. <laughs> I yeah. really need to finish the Secret Chief stuff, like, you know. And uh, three weeks matters, man. Oh, man, does it ever matter. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. So, so I'm sort of I'm I'm on the fence right now. Like you know, I, I really want to come on that tour, but I'm not sure whether I can justify it. Yeah, no, it'd be good to because uh, I saw you guys in Brighton. I think it was last time you came over, and that was a really good show. So it'd be good to see the full Wazva again. Oh yeah, I remember the Brighton show was in that. It was like a small yeah really, bar that was really fun. But, uh, <laughs> it was great. I mean, that was, that had a really good uh, for me. Like Brighton, I'd never. I'd never been there before. Yeah. That was a totally different side of the UK I'd never seen before. Yeah, it's a bit more kind of arty, I guess, if I use a better word. Yeah, it's a little bit more like uh, I live in this kind of hippie town here called Santa Cruz. <laughs> it kind of reminded <laughs> yeah. me of Santa Cruz. Like, what? They have this in the UK? Like, well, all right, well. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, how did you get involved with ASVA? Because it seems like a bit of a departure from the, I guess, you know, if you use a better word, usual stuff you do. Oh, um, well, you know, I should bring up Randall. Um, he's the connecting link and all of that. He, he's a sound guy um, for a lot of bands. In fact, he's been he's been the producer for um, Earth recently. He's been on tour with them, doing the sound for them. And, all right. Um, originally, Dylan was in ASVA, Dylan from Earth. And, you know, like Earth started, he, he concentrated more on Earth. Um, but Stuart, Stuart and Dylan were working on that together. And then Randall sort of helped fill in the hole so that Stuart could keep doing ASVA and just sort of drew on musicians that he knew, which is something that Randall is really good at, is, you know, hooking musicians up with other musicians. Yeah. So it was kind of his doing. He kind of, and, and I knew the drummer from ASVA and Burning Witch from way back. I mean, we're talking about the 80s. <laughs> so. Brad, I, I've known him ever since like Mr. Bungle went up to Portland in 1986 or 87 or something <laughs> so it just sounded like a fun thing to do I really liked their uh, sort of desert doom <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> something about the twang guitar part of it felt like, felt right you know like this should be happening but nobody was playing a baritone guitar so I was like man I'll bring my baritone guitar into this thing and We'll really, we'll really make it into this kind of Arizona and doom. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, uh, it sort of stands. I think it stands out from a lot of the other bands that kind of play a, so I guess, sort of similar sort of type of music like Sun and stuff. It's got more of a, it's definitely got more kind of atmosphere to it, I reckon, than a lot of the other stuff. Yeah, I don't think it's coming from as much of a uh, fully metal point of view. Um, although I don't know where. Asva's coming from, frankly. I mean, you know, uh, Stuart, the way he hears music is really just uh, still an anomaly to me. Like, And I, I'm fascinated by that. And I, I really enjoy playing with people that I don't I don't understand what the hell they're thinking. You know, I've always loved that. And the Stuart's just a kind of an enigma. Yeah. So it's, I, I really don't, it's definitely, he's not like a metal guy. He's, he's a guy coming from a, um, very organic kind of felt uh, 
musical, like it's a, a, a saturation, you know? So I think the way he responds to tonality really quite literally has to do with his, um, the, the way it vibrates his body, you know, very, mm-hmm. very less, um, very much not an intellectual thing for him. Yeah. And, and, uh, I really like that about him. Like I, you know, I think he sometimes feels pressure to, to have an intellectual basis for all of it, which, you know, I'm always like, man, who, who cares? You know, there's enough <laughs> people out there doing that. Do it, do it, do it your way. And, to the extent that he does that, man, I love it. I love Asva. Yeah. And and it's very interesting how other musicians uh, trying to adapt into his vision, you know, how that comes about is always surprising. Yeah. yeah. And I should finish this rant uh, by bringing up Randall again, who's the guy who really ends up at the end combing through everything and really making musical sense out of it, really in the classic sense of a producer. Hmm. For something as nebulous and strange as, you know, drone doom music, he's really got the instinct to to, to make it all, you know, something as crazy as what I'm talking about, to come together as a very coherent and uh, focused thing. Because believe me, it is not. <laughs> you know, it isn't at all. So how does like... Uh, so Randall deserves, deserves equal credit to anyone. How does like an Asva song get made then? I mean, is it like you get sent tapes... Or, you know, or do you go into the recording process knowing what you're going to do? Or is it just like a improv kind of... <laughs> it's, it's totally amazing. Like, Stuart will send us these CDs, and it'll be him, like, playing a bass, or even a guitar, and it'll be just these riffs that, like, there's no way you could remember them because they take so long, you know, to, to repeat... If you sped them up really fast, oh, they're simple. Well, that's okay. That's just this, and then that's just this, and oh, okay. <laughs> but your first impression hearing them, are like, okay, I've been listening to this for 15 minutes, can't make head or tail of any of it. There's a, there is a method to his madness. But what he sends us is just that, and then says he'll say like, you know, I, I imagine a sort of a, you know, like a creaking, uh, a sound that that evokes birds, you know. Uh, chirping but it should be you know sort of these chords and then he'll give you some chords that don't make any sense <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> you know you fit that in and you make it work and it's to- it turns into something really compelling usually like it's very interesting yeah. i think each person gets that like they get these totally weird instructions that don't seem to make much sense but put it all together and it lo and behold it works yeah <laughs> Is, um, so, is your label releasing the new Asma record, or is it? Uh, I saw it on, on Southern, but then are they just distri- distributing it, or are they uh, actually releasing it? Do you know? They're releasing it. Ah, right. Because yeah, because you released the, f- the first full length album, didn't you? I think. Yeah, yeah. This new one is really strong. I'm really into the the new the new album. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I wasn't into the the last one, but I think that this one turned out much better, and that Asma has found its. You know, it's definitely not trying to be anything other than what it is. Not that the first one was, but I think that the first one felt more metal than Azra really should be because it's not really where Stewart is coming from at all. I think that now that everybody understands that a little bit better, it's coming across better. 
Yeah, it's definitely there's like a kind of renaissance at the moment with droney kind of music. Earth have suddenly released a whole slew of new albums as well, haven't they? I think they've all been really good. I don't know if you've heard them. This is all Randall's fault, really. <laughs> it's it's like Randall once Randall started working with those Southern Lord guys. I mean, it became a big conspiracy. <laughs> Excellent. So I just want to talk. It, it is. It's a big fucking conspiracy. I'm telling you. <laughs> Engineered by Randall. Yeah. Is he the hit? He's the hidden hand behind it all. <laughs> he truly is. I don't know how that happened. You know, I mean, I remember when I first started talking, he didn't know anything about metal, anything. He had no interest. He didn't care. I've been friends with this guy forever. Yeah. And then when the, when the asthma thing happened, then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, well, this works because Randall really understands low end well. And I started introducing him to some, you know, some of the drone and metal, like really droney death metal bands and stuff yeah and he was not really all that into it you know not, not really but then i think you know when he met steve o'malley and those guys and you know, started getting it, all of that changed and it's great because you know he brings something to them too which is you know i mean randall's background is more in like a kind of kraut rock thing yeah that's what he's really into he's not like a totally studied you know uh, musician by any means, but he's a super intuitive producer coming out of a kind of a kraut rock aesthetic. And I think that that has really helped, like it's been a real symbiosis uh, in, in the whole, I, I don't know, the community of doom drone people. And Randall is definitely the, the secret ingredient. <laughs>
Hi, welcome back. Um, that was Asva, you were just listening to. That was the song Kill the Dog, Tie Him Up, Then Take the Money, from the first album, Futurists Against the Ocean, which is out on Mimicry Records. Uh, came out a year or two ago now. Um, yeah, before that, after the first part of the interview, you would have heard uh, clips from Zaffem, which is on Zadik Records. Um, that's literally just come out, I think, this week, actually, or a couple of weeks ago, maybe, a week ago. It's kind Last of hard. Monday, I think it was. It's really hard to... Um, uh, tell, I think you can get it from Mimicry, but that's a different, slightly different version. Look it up on Zadet, you'll see what I mean. Uh, then after that, we played Owl in Daylight, which is from Book of Horizons. I think the uh, the song is about Philip K. Dick, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Trace Prunes mentions that in a previous interview he yeah, has done. The Ripple interview, I think, another two-parter. See, so he's good for two-part interviews. So yeah, I mean, keep an eye out on the website. We'll be trying to do interesting stuff like this interview. Yeah, and we've got it's some good be guys hard lined to follow up. Follow up this, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> we set the bar a bit high for the second episode, which yeah. is a bit annoying. So now we're gonna have to come up with good guests all the time. Um, we're gonna try and get them out weekly as much as possible. We were saying fortnightly before, but I think weekly it's not that difficult to do. So hopefully we'll be able we'll to get some guests back we'll, in. It will not be just musicians. It will be yeah, I mean, all sorts of people. Anyone from counterculture, subculture, the underground. That's what we're interested in. So, um, yeah, we'll see you next time for the second part of uh, the Trace Bruins interview. And uh, remember, you can check us out on sittingnow.co.uk. You can email me on ken at sittingnow.co.uk on Paul. Same on Paul at sittingnow.co.uk. Yeah, it's pretty simple, really. Yes. <laughs> and if you're interested, like we said before, if you're interested in writing for the blog or for contributing to the podcast in any way, we can do guest hosting through Skype. We're really interested in making this a kind of open sourcey community kind of thing try and do it a slightly different way so you know everyone can get involved or as many people can get involved as possible so yeah just give us a give us an email and uh, we'll see you at the second part of trace experience interview okay bye bye